Uh, this morning, uh, we want to um, uh, begin, as it were, begin in a very little way, uh, a new series uh, on uh, the book of Daniel. But as I was preparing for this morning, I realized that a lot of the introductory work on Daniel really uh, is very helpful in understanding some things in our Torah portion for this week. So I thought, actually, given our theme of generation to generation, uh, that uh, we're going to get a little tiny taste of uh, Daniel today, but uh, focusing much of our attention on uh, the blessings of uh, Jacob to his children. Uh, Because the reason being is that, you know, Joseph and Daniel are very similar uh, in certain ways. Uh, both of them lived in the lived outside of uh, the promised land, and they both got by in very different kinds of ways. One of the things that we learn about Daniel uh, is that regardless of where we may live, uh, God never leaves us or forsakes us. One of those kinds of lessons we learn from the life of Joseph, we learn it in the life of Esther, uh, and we learn it uh, in the life of Daniel. Daniel is a, uh, a book uh, that is um, a, a book of extremes, uh, you might say. Because, you know, when you think about the book of Daniel, you think of, A, Sunday school lessons for children. And you think of which nation is going to come first in coming into Israel, all of the, the intricacies of uh, end time prophecy, right? Uh, so extremes, one, one might say, right? And so uh, one of the things we want to uh, remember right from the get-go is that the uh, book of Daniel is not about children's Bible stories in a sense of simplistic, cute Bible stories. That's what I'm trying to say. Nor is it about the intricacies uh, of uh, end time prophecy, The great message of Daniel is the sovereignty of God in all circumstances and in all places. That is the great message of the book of Daniel. And that no matter where we are, we can serve him without compromising, regardless of the consequences. And that even regardless of those, those, uh, no matter what the consequences may may be, they don't mean failure at all, uh, but they bring glory uh, indeed uh, to God. Uh, and in the promises that God gave to his, uh, through Jacob to his 12 sons, Daniel is, long, of course, long after uh, the days of Jacob and his 12 sons, but Daniel is a recipient and part of the process of this uh, great uh, destiny uh, of, of the Jewish people of being a light to the nations and demonstrating uh, the faithfulness uh, of of God. We read at the very beginning of the book of Daniel uh, that uh, Daniel is in exile. We read uh, that uh, he is in Babylon. We read that he is uh, from the tribe of Judah. Uh, And we read uh, that uh, uh, he uh, is being... um, groomed in the culture of the Babylonians, yet he maintains his, his uh, personal identity 
uh, as uh, an image bearer of God uh, and as an Israelite, a Jewish, uh, a Jewish person. Uh, and that is part of the legacy that Jacob leaves to his sons. And so today I wanted to uh, focus actually on uh, Jacob and his sons keeping in the back of our minds uh, uh, Daniel, who was to come many years later, uh, who had this legacy in his own heart and his own mind. And our plan is that, well, next week I will be out of town attending a wedding in uh, Chicago area, uh, and, and Eric Chabot will be speaking next week. Uh, but beginning on uh, two weeks from today, then we're going to dive into uh, the beginning of Daniel. But I think this week's Torah portion serves as a beautiful introduction into the destiny of Israel, even in way later uh, in the Babylonian captivity. But it also speaks to us as we begin this year and thinking about our, uh, our focus of uh, generation to generation. Uh, and even just in our own lives, having children perhaps, uh, all of us are either a child or parents, right? Right. Uh, all of us have parents, whether they're living or deceased, whether we know them or not. None of us uh, came in like a rocket ship uh, and just landed here uh, from, another, uh, from another planet, all right? Even though it may seem like that at times. All right. So uh, let's uh, uh, turn here to uh, the, actually the 41st, this, we're going a little backwards, the 41st chapter of Genesis for just a moment. Okay, so Joseph is living in, we could call it the diaspora, he's living outside of the land, right? And, you know, Joseph is a very interesting uh, character. One of the great things about the people in the Bible they leave us with some mystery. Like, none of them are absolute, except for Yeshua, right? None of them uh, are absolute, they're not like stick figures. You know, they're real people. Joseph does some things that we kind of scratch our head about, even though we know he is a great man and, and he loved the Lord. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. But there's some things we scratch our head about with, with uh, Joseph. And uh, one of them is here in chapter 41, okay? All right, uh, let's see. Uh, beginning in verse uh, 46, or no, we have to go back a little farther, uh, to verse 45 of chapter 41. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphoneth Paneah. So he gets like an Egyptian name, okay? All right. And so uh, if your Bible is like mine, you might have like a little one next to that right? Or a little something, and then you have a, hopefully you have a Bible that has cross-references and little notes, right? Something, right? So, uh, Zephaneth uh, Panea, uh, perhaps, probably, God speaks uh, or lives. So that's rather interesting. Uh, Joseph is being held in such high esteem. And he gave him Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. So that's an interesting thing about Joseph, right? Uh, now, 
you know, we're not there. We don't know uh, what's going on. But what we just see in the text is Joseph now has a wife who not only is Egyptian, but she uh, comes from this religious family uh, of Egypt. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Now, remember, this takes place after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. That's why he's given this name. That's why he's in such a high place. And now he is going to to hold tremendous power in Egypt, perhaps the most powerful land on earth. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. And he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now, now, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's and all my father's household. And he named the second one Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay, so these are the two sons. One son he remembers, or I should say, helps him to forget where he's from. And therefore, you know, there's no void. Forget where he's from and to embrace where he is. And his other son reminds him that it's the land of his affliction. Reminds him that this is not my homeland. Even though I'm fruitful, this is the land of my affliction. So that's helpful a little bit when we come to chapter 48. In chapter 48, if you're familiar at all with the story of Joseph, I encourage you to read it. Now, everybody knows who everybody is, right? Joseph knows his brothers. His brothers know him. Uh, Now, uh, uh, Jacob has been reunited uh, with Joseph, uh, and they're all in Egypt. And Jacob knows that he's never going back. He himself is never going back. And that he's going to die in Egypt. Right? So it says, Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land of your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So what he's doing, uh, he is now... Uh, reminding uh, uh, God is, uh, so to speak, uh, saying to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, right? So he sits up, and Jacob now reminds Joseph, or tells Joseph, this is the promise that God has given to me. This is the legacy uh, uh, that I have, all right? So now we see, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt 
before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have, that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers uh, in their inheritance. Okay? And so now what he is doing is he is blessing Joseph in a very uh, unique way. He is now going to take uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, the children born in Egypt to Joseph, and he's going to bless them as it were uh, his sons. These are his grandsons, but now he's going to bless them as his sons. And throughout the rest of Jewish history to this very day, these two sons, like all of the other sons, are called the sons of Israel, right? The sons of Israel. Israel is Jacob's covenantal name. It's true you see it used back and forth, back and forth. Uh, but uh, once Jacob really is, uh, is gone, when the children are being referred to in their covenantal identity, they're called the sons of Israel. Israel. The land is called Israel. And to this day, isn't it uh, uh, providential that the land is indeed called Israel, uh, Jacob's uh, covenant name. Uh, now, there's a lot of things that we could say uh, uh, about this, but let's read on a little bit more. Okay, now, uh, Jacob is now uh, reminiscing, giving a little bit more family information, you might say. Now, as for me, when I came from uh, Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey where there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath. Now, why is that there? Perhaps that's there so that there's no misunderstanding that uh, she was viewed as lesser because she's not buried in the cave, you know, but that uh, remembering uh, their mother. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given to me. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said, to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them on his knee, from his knees and bowed with him face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them uh, close uh, to him. All right. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Okay? Now, Joseph, if you move down to verse uh, 17, we see, When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. 
He also shall become a people, and he shall uh, be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude uh, of nations. So you see here, this sounds a little reminiscent of Jacob's own uh, youth. When uh, Esau was, when Isaac thought he was blessing Esau, but he blesses him with, a, uh, with an inheritance, uh, he blesses uh, Jacob with uh, this uh, inheritance and with this, uh, covenantal, this covenantal blessing. And so here we see that uh, Jacob blesses these sons. Now, in history, we see what happens, that uh, uh, Manasseh is indeed blessed. He uh, has a stake in the land, uh, and God blesses them. But Ephraim becomes the, the prominent uh, tribe, the prominent tribe. And once there is uh, the split of the nation, the northern kingdom is oftentimes referred to as Ephraim. And so God blesses these, uh, God blesses Joseph in, uh, in this way. And it follows suit with so much of what we see in Brashid, in Genesis, of uh, the older serving the younger, right? Which tells us that it is an act of grace, an act of the grace of God, of God uh, sovereignly choosing uh, the younger, not the natural course, which would be the older. And, uh, and so uh, we see this great blessing. Now, this has come down in Jewish tradition on Erev Shabbat. There is uh, a time when a father lays his hands on the heads of his sons and said, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing because uh, when you think about uh, these tribes, they were, they're not the children of, uh, of Jacob who were the most stellar ultimately, but I think it's the concept of blessing your children. And of course, there is a blessing on daughters as well. Uh, may you be like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And then the ironic benediction uh, is, uh, is said. And I think that the, uh, this blessing on our children is not so much may you be literally exactly like Ephraim and Manasseh and try to figure out ways in the Bible that they were good and, and that try to figure that out, you know, uh, or the same thing with the mothers of, of Israel. But the fact that there is a father passing down a blessing to his son and a, a grandfather uh, passing down a blessing to his grandsons, or we can just say uh, grandchildren. Now, look carefully at what, at what uh, Jacob, uh, how he blesses them. Uh, now, verses 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph. Now, that's is interesting. He blessed Joseph, the father of the boys, and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd. And by the way, this is the first place where we read, God being called the shepherd, shepherd of Israel, shepherd of the, of the people. This gives you a little idea into Jacob's life and his own relationship with God, that he viewed God as, as the one leading him and guiding him, 
uh, as a shepherd. All my life to this day. What a testimony that is. Hmm? The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless, bless the boys. Right? Bless the lads. And may, and may my name live on in them. And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. I would suggest that this is not only a, uh, like a doctrinal blessing or a theological blessing, which is often how it's reduced. That, in other words, what uh, Jacob is doing is he's saying, okay, God made this covenant with me, uh, with my grandfather Abraham, and with my father Isaac, and with me, and now I'm giving you this covenantal blessing. Well, that is true. I think that there's uh, something else that is going on here. That there is, in a sense, a, uh, a sense of I'm passing on to you the legacy that God has given to me. And we could say, uh, in, a, in a very physical and spiritual kind of way. Because in that day, there was no difference. Uh, uh, spiritual... Physical, the spiritual was a physical blessing. It wasn't some uh, invisible, uh, esoteric uh, thing that, that's going to go. Now, the blessing was this promised land, right? But also uh, this promise of God, of, of a, a progeny, of being the, the father of a multitude of nations, right? And so I think that it's, uh, it's fascinating when we, uh, when we see that here, may my name live on in them. Wow. May, may my name, may who I am, may, uh, 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 may my relationship with God live on in them. May what I have gained over all of these years of wisdom, of understanding that God is my shepherd, may, may that live in them. May they constantly seek the blessings of God like Jacob did. May, may that live in them. And, of course, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac as an ethnic heritage and as a uh, spiritual uh, legacy live on in them. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so that is what uh, he, he blesses them both uh, with. Now, uh, we see an, uh, a little bit farther down, right? And he blessed them in that day, saying, By you, Israel, shall pronounce blessings, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Right? Thus he put Ephraim before uh, Manasseh. All right. Uh, and so then, he, you know, he says, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back into the land of your fathers. And I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite and my, with my sword and my bow. So the birthright, one might say, the birthright that he received from his father Isaac, he gives uh, to Joseph. Also, uh, you know, not the firstborn, obviously, not the one who it, by nature should have received, uh, received this. So we see this unique blessing that God gives to Joseph. But then in chapter 49, we see God now, through Jacob, blesses all of his sons. But this is a different kind of blessing. Okay? 
This is a different kind of blessing. What we see here is basically what uh, uh, God, uh, what, what Jacob blesses to his uh, to Joseph and to his grandsons uh, is: May you dwell heartily in the land. You know, uh, may uh, this uh, legacy of faith uh, dwell in you. Now, and including Joseph here in chapter 49, he blesses them. But his blessing here is, is more, uh, more like uh, a, um, a statement of their destiny, more than it is, you know, may God uh, be good to you, but a statement of their destiny. Speaking into their lives, their destiny as sons of promise, of sons of Israel. And so we see here, he summoned his sons, assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you uh, uh, in the days to come, right? Gather yourselves, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So he begins with Reuben, and we see here that uh, he knows Reuben. He knows that Reuben does not have, Reuben falls to certain temptations. And as a result, he cannot be entrusted with the responsibility of the firstborn. He's still a son. He's not like cast off. And there's the land of Reuben and like all the other sons. But he knows his son's temperament. And so he says, your destiny is not, as it were, the responsibility of the firstborn. Doesn't hate him but he is speaking realistically and giving him a, perhaps a, a vision for his life. Then he speaks about Simeon and Levi, okay? Uh, and uh, we see here that um, they have a tendency uh, to act out angrily. He doesn't hate them. He doesn't say to them, you're done. No, they just cannot fulfill the responsibility of firstborn. In fact, Levi, in fact, right after this, Moses is born, right? Moses is from the tribe of Levi. And then, of course, you have Aaron from the tribe of Levi. So they're not uh, cursed. They're not hated by their father. But he's, he's telling them in terms of, because he's beginning with the oldest, in terms of the calling of the firstborn, that's not going to be you. And then, of course, he comes to Judah and in our Torah study, we'll be looking all about this and the blessing on uh, Judah and the great messianic promise of the Messiah that is uh, here. And then Zebulon and Issachar and Dan. And Now, they're all different and they're complicated, I would say, these promises. And we try to figure them out oftentimes today. Like, how, does this, how is this playing out in history? Well, there are too many greater minds than mine to figure out to figure out exactly uh, uh, how, that, how they work themselves out in history. But you know what? There's one thing they all have in common. Every blessing, everything that is spoken to them takes place in Eretz Yisrael. Everything that they are going to be is in the promised land. And may I suggest that what he's saying to them all in one sense is, your destiny is in Eretz Yisrael. And you will do different things and have your own identity and your own destiny, but as part of a larger whole in the promised land. And so he speaks into their lives 
not just, not really even their own personal destiny because they died in Egypt. They were going to be in Egypt for 400 years. The actual recipients of this promise died hundreds of years before their, uh, their seed or their descendants entered the promised land. And so he's not even speaking really to them individually so much as he is speaking of their legacy as uh, an individual clan or family within a greater whole. So this is, uh, this is a, a fascinating uh, place where the book of Genesis ends. And as we learn in our Torah course, when you see big, long, poetic passages, they, they have a lot to tell us. They serve as seams where, so to speak, one narrative ends and another one begins. And oftentimes in these long poetic seams, there's a lot of messianic illusions and promises going on. We'll save that for later this afternoon and for another time. But this concept of blessing uh, uh, one's sons uh, or children, let's just say children, boys and girls in our culture, in our world, uh, and, uh, and our grandchildren uh, as well. And uh, saying, so to speak, to them, may my name live in you. Wow, what does that mean? You know, all of us uh, uh, certainly desire, you know, it's funny where you are in life. Uh, for, uh, for a lot of life, you don't really think much about, about inheritances or life insurance policies, you know, or uh, what are we leaving to our children or uh, what's going to happen to them, uh, you know, uh, when I go and who are we going to give this thing to and, and that thing to, you know. Uh, my aunt and uncle, God bless them, they're both still alive in their late 80s, just uh, have lived and are living a wonderful life. They have three wonderful children. And, uh, and so they, they sold their... Uh, the house that everybody grew up in, you know, the house that they lived in for 50 years. And like a lot of people, they downsized. And um, uh, they decided this is a good time while we're living for us to like lay it all out. What do you want? You know, who wants what? And a uh, wonderful family. No one's fighting over anything. So uh, one, my one uh, uh, cousin uh, said to my aunt and uncle, you know, all I want is the shower head from the guest bathroom, you know? Because he loved visiting his mom and dad, and they redid the bathroom, and they loved that shower head, you know? Uh, and <laughs> so it's kind of interesting that, uh, uh, you know, my aunt and uncle had this great desire, give whatever you like, and uh, he was just so appreciative of his mom and dad and, and living his own life, not looking for anything. That's good enough, you know, as if to say, I have you, you know? Uh, what else do I need? But the reality is, is that we come to a place in our lives where we think about these things. Heirlooms, family heirlooms, you know, handing things down from one generation to another. Uh, things that may not mean anything to anyone else, but they mean something to me. Uh, and I want to save it. I want to give this to my son. I want to give this to my daughter. Or, or, or hey, I'll just leave it and they'll figure it out themselves. Um, whatever it might be, or we're thinking in terms of money, of the of the house, of the uh, or of investments, and you know all of that uh, kind of kind of thing. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We're human beings. We do want to leave things 
that, that, that will be a blessing to our children after we're gone that they will remember us by. Either they bless me by taking care of me with finances or, or with family uh, heirlooms, right? Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, another thing, when, when we talk about ourselves, leaving ourselves into our children, our, our values, our values, what do we hold dear that we want to pass on? Is it just things or is there a way of life? Is there a tradition? Is there a set of beliefs that we want to pass on to our children? That is not something that you can see or not something that uh, will uh, uh, flitter away as, as time goes on, but that can be held uh, a, a dear. In this case, beyond land, we could call it a promise. A promise that God made to my grandfather, to my father, and to me of, of an everlasting righteousness, of, of, a, uh, of a new heaven and a new earth. Of, uh, and in, so encased, encased in the promise is all of that. Uh, a promise of, of life in Messiah. And you know, God has indeed given you and I uh, a blessing. Now, for some of us, Perhaps we grew up in a home where God was revered and Yeshua was loved. And, and uh, you know, we can't exactly pinpoint the day when I said the prayer, you know, because it was inculcated to me in, in my life. And that's a marvelous thing. That's a very good, very good thing. And that is a real blessing to have a father or a mother or a grandparent who inculcated the truths of God into your life. But I would suggest that for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, you know, uh, where we uh, received uh, this great blessing from God was from someone speaking to us and showing us the scriptures and, and God drawing us unto himself uh, and uh, uh, giving us eternal life as we embraced Yeshua, right? And so uh, uh, God himself, in, by his sovereign hand, showed us grace and mercy and uh, gave us uh, this, this promise uh, that we could uh, then unwrap and apply to our own lives. Sadly, for many people, for Jewish people, God has given indeed this promise, but for so many, there's not even the knowledge of the promise. There's a great inheritance, but we don't even know it. We think it's going to come in a billion years. It's pie in the sky, or we got to get it ourselves. And we don't even know that it's come in the person of Yeshua. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, in the Brit Chadashah, when uh, Paul says, Blessed be, uh, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. And you can read the rest of it. But may I suggest his point there is, is that, you know, the, this promise has come to us in these days. And when he says us, may I suggest, he's speaking about Israel. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And think about it. All the things that he says in these first 10 or so verses of Ephesians chapter 1 are all parts of the blessing that God makes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says, uh, let's see. In verse 13, in him you also, 
after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the, to the praise of his glory. Well, there's a lot to be unpacked there for another day. But the point is, he's saying, and you too, you who are not Jewish, because if you follow the pronouns into the second chapter, that becomes quite clear, okay? Uh, that, uh, and you also have the first fruits of the inheritance that God has promised to Israel. He's not referring to the land because that's in a whole different category. He's referring to, the, to this promise of intimacy with God and, and uh, uh, you know, for the forgiveness of sins and redemption uh, and, and so on. Chosenness and, and things that, that go uh, all along with that. And so God has given that to us uh, in Messiah. And the question for us is, are we inculcating that into our own children? Are we demonstrating that in, in, in their lives? Are we putting, so to speak, ourselves in them in the most positive way? Our children become us to a certain degree, right? The best and the worst, right? The best and the worst. So the question is, are we living the Messiah life and demonstrating that so that then they catch that passion and vision? It doesn't come in the classroom. The classroom is helpful. The classroom explains things and unpacks things. But the, but the, the true inculcating of the values comes by pouring ourselves into them and the way we interact with them and the way we live and what they see. So now we're all under heavy conviction and guilt, right? But isn't God's grace marvelous? His grace is marvelous because all of us, no one's great parents. We're all okay here and there, you know, but, and we like to focus on our own inabilities and problems and, ay, 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 and what's my, how my kid's going to turn out. But just like these kids, positives, negatives, God did not take his hand off of them, you know, and God blessed them in marvelous ways even though the modeling was good and bad when you read through the history of our people. But by demonstrating uh, life and Messiah to our children, certainly uh, we are inculcated. That is the legacy, shall I say, just to cut to the chase, save some time. That's the legacy we want to leave. The legacy we want to leave is are we, uh, the thing that will last is the inheritance from above. Are we leaving that with our children? Are we pouring that into their lives? Do we speak to them in a sense and give them a sense of destiny and a sense of calling in their lives? Or do we just say, whatever, just whatever? Or, you know, are we raising them sort of biding our time till they're 18 years old and then they're adults and they do their own thing? No. Are we being proactive in raising them to be responsible adults in Messiah? Not just Americans, you know, but in Messiah, are we raising them to love the Lord? Are we raising them to hold the same values, spiritual values that we do, that we receive from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and maybe from spiritual mentors, maybe from our own grandparents, and maybe from our own parents, but maybe from other mentors and people that have spoken into our own lives? Can many of you think about a time when someone spoke into your life and it made a difference? There's power in the blessing of words. And that's what we read here. And you know, in a Messianic congregation, there's also 
the, uh, our cultural values as well. In fact, for our pre-bar and bat mitzvah students, I go through a book called Jewish Heroes, Jewish Values, where we uh, take Jewish values and then we look at famous Jewish people and how they exhibited these values. Because we want our young people both to have uh, the values of knowing Messiah and growing in grace and all of that, but at the very same time, uh, having a value, a messianic value, we'll call it. We'll just call it that, a messianic value. So that's the question uh, for you uh, and I. And I just want to close with, um, uh, with this. No, I don't. Let's pray. Forget it. Lord uh, God, uh, 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 thank you, Lord, that uh, you love us so much that even despite ourselves, God, you allow us to uh, pour our lives uh, into our children, Lord. And, and thank you, God, that despite ourselves, uh, they turn out. So, Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we pray, God, your blessing on them. We pray, God, uh, for our children and our grandchildren that they would be able to catch the vision of passion for Yeshua, Lord, and that may they see that in us. And long after we're not here, Lord, may they carry that value to their children and to their children, Lord. God, uh, we do pray, Lord, uh, for our families and for our family here as a community, as a congregation. Lord God, we uh, pray, God, that as uh, we continue to move on uh, this year and the next year and the year after that, Lord, that uh, there would be uh, people who have a passion uh, for the vision of a messianic congregational work and growth, Lord, and seeing that our people uh, have the opportunity to know Messiah Yeshua and to live in such a way as to demonstrate that uh, Yeshua is indeed the Messiah of Israel. Lord, we live and in a world that uh, culturally is miles away from all of this. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that just as Daniel received that legacy hundreds and hundreds of years later, Lord, and that we have received that legacy hundreds and hundreds of years later, Lord, may we, in our generation, move this legacy forward of trusting in you and having an identity uh, you know, in, in who we are and recognize that life is not just to get through, but there is a destiny and there is a calling on each of our lives. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.